When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 365, and today we are talking about books being released on June 7th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello. So 365 episodes, that means there is officially an episode for every, you could like listen to one episode every day for a whole year, unless it's wow. a leap year, which you can rectify next week. You'll have one for the <laughs> leap year day too. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild. Yeah. That is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Someone was asking me the other day about the podcast and they're like, how long have you been doing it? I'm like, four, five uh, seven years. <laughs> oh like we just passed seven years, which is amazing. Yeah. That's so many books. Like so much has happened and so many different people to talk to and mm-hmm. it's been fun. So the universe is conspiring against me like usual. I bought, <laughs> I am like, I mentioned this before. I am a sucker for Instagram ads, which mm. are targeted at me because if you don't already know this, your phone listens to you. So, you know, I'll talk about the Celtics all night and then all my ads are for the Celtics, you know, like t-shirts and hat stuff. So I've been talking about the bird bath in our backyard because my husband just got a new bird bath and he was painting it and we we're talking about bird baths. And then, of course, that night I open up my phone and Instagram is like, bird bath. It's this little tiny floating bird bath. It looks like a UFO almost. And it's like a solar powered fountain. So you put this little disc in your bird bath, and when the sun hits it, it shoots water up like a fountain. So I was like, oh, it's very inexpensive. I'm very excited about this. So it came in the mail four days ago, and it has been just gray and raining since then. And I was Aww. like, I want to play with my fountain. Like, this is, like, the most <laughs> exciting thing to me now. And as with most things that I buy specifically for animals, like cat toys and stuff, I'm sure, like, it either won't work correctly or they will have no interest in it whatsoever. But for me, I'm very excited. I'm like, <laughs> I also came up with a way to keep the chipmunks from climbing up the poles to the bird feeders and eating the, the seed. And my husband was like, people have been working on this problem forever and, and it's not going to work. So I was like, I got an idea. So I took a giant piece of cardboard and I cut this big circle that was like, I don't know, the size of like a pizza pan. And I cut, you know, a, a straight line to the middle and I stuck it around the post. And mm-hmm. just like that, the chipmunk couldn't climb up the post. And I was like, well, that was easy. It's not like very aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> it was like <laughs> a piece of a soggy cardboard, like in the middle of all these beautiful plants and stuff. But for now, it solved the problem. So I was like, I'm going to market cardboard circles and make a million dollars. I'm sure it's it's like an arms race. You're going to get uh, chipmunks <laughs> that are specifically trained to get around the cardboard. So. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm probably like fostering mutant chipmunks in my yard now. <laughs> they're going to be like, you know, they're going to be like a whole team of them. They're like, what if you grab this side? And the other one, you know, or they're like making like a little catapult, you know, or something. Mm-hmm. 
But I mean, I like I'm not one of those people that minds like squirrels and chipmunks in their yard. Like I know that you know a lot of people don't enjoy that. and and it's true. Like they eat like your plants and they eat all the seed mm-hmm. out of the feeder. But I'm just like nature, so funny. Mm-hmm. You know, like I like them. But like lately, these chipmunks, I'm like. How do you even make it back down the pole? Your face is so full. Like, you're going to hurt yourself, you know? And they've just been, like, cleaning them out. They're like, she's really sick and she's not around, so we're just going to take advantage of that and, like, steal everything that we can, you know, while she's weak and can't chase us, you know? So I was like, cardboard circle. And it works really well. So, yeah. Coming to a store near you. So you're saying your your usual strategy is to run out and chase off the chipmunks? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, if I bang on the window, like, they run off or something, you know? But, like, lately I'm just like, I don't have that energy. I was like, you win this time, chipmunk! (laughs) Yeah. So, what else is going on? Oh my goodness, I've been babbling forever. (laughs) I haven't, yeah, I've been trying to think of anything that's happening in my life. (laughs) Not much. I think last show I was talking about how my dog had her face swell up. Yeah, she got bit by another dog. Oh, dear. Yeah. And it was, oh, man, it was expensive and it was annoying. We had to go into the vet and then we had to apply a compress four times a day and she needed like two different kinds of medication. And yeah, it was it was a lot. Poor puppy. But she's all healed up now. Which is Aww. nice because she looked real pathetic with just like one <laughs> side of her face all swollen. <laughs> Before I make some more sympathetic noises, we're going to take a quick break here and hear from a sponsor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. So back to poor puppy. I'm very sorry mm-hmm. that that happened. There are a few things I find as stressful as like when you're walking and you see two dogs that don't know each other like meet on leashes mm. and they start sniffing each other and then they start like growling and I'm like, <gasps> don't put them together. Like, yeah, Ohio. that's why, like one of the reasons, many reasons I don't have a dog. I was like, I don't think I can handle mm. that, you know, and it's just, and I'm also super lazy. That's the other reason yeah. I don't have a dog. <laughs> yeah. I have, the good thing about dogs is they demand what they need. Like you can't really mm-hmm. ignore them. When I am too lazy to take the dogs out, by the next day, they'll just be, like, barking at me all day. I'm like, okay, yeah, (laughs) to take it. But this dog was off-leash, was the, Uh like, they were both, my dog and this dog were off-leash. Yeah, and I don't understand why they had this dog off-leash when they weren't friendly with other dogs, but... Poor puppy. It's behind us now. (laughs) Completely shifting gears. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are hiring a digital marketing manager here at Book Riot. You can check out the position at bookriot.com slash join dash us. It is a remote position. The job listing has jurisdictions. You can check those out. Like I said, at bookriot.com slash join 
dash us. And we are an equal opportunity employer and especially are looking for applications from individuals from marginalized communities. So if being a digital marketing manager sounds like something you want to do, come check it out. So I guess we're going to talk about books. Yeah, we should probably do that. We kind of covered it. You know, we, we talked about dogs. Usually I talk about cats. We talked about dogs mm-hmm. and, you know, critters. And now we're going to talk about books. I think we I think we covered it all. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to kick it off with Counterfeit by Kirsten Chen. And I'm very excited because I'm doing an event with her next week. I got asked. It was like a last minute thing. Uh, long before I decided I was going to talk about this book for the show because I enjoyed it so much, uh, but I can't wait to speak to her. And this novel, I believe it's her second, I, be- I think so, is about a woman named Ava. She's in her late 30s. She's a Chinese-American lawyer. She has a surgeon husband. She has a young son and a beautiful house and a nanny. And all these things sound amazing, but... Nothing is going right. It's all like a facade. Uh, she left her job when she had her child and she misses being a lawyer, but her husband works all the time. Uh, she hardly ever sees him and her son is now two and a half and he's nonverbal. He screams all the time. Like she's, she's worried. Her husband keeps telling her like, he'll talk someday. There's nothing to worry about. This is totally normal. You know, he, you know, he just likes to scream for attention, like, and she keeps worrying about her son and her husband keeps telling her, no, no, don't worry about it. And he also, to make, to like make matters worse, he only likes the nanny, like he'll only like calm down and be quiet for the nanny, which makes her feel bad because she's his mother. And one day she gets this message from a woman named Winnie. Winnie was her roommate at Stanford her freshman year, 20 years ago, when he came from mainland China. And she was kind of awkward and she dressed funny. Like the girl, other girls made fun of her dress, the way she dressed. And Ava thought she was kind of annoying. And then one day during the middle of their freshman year, she's like, I have to go. And and she didn't come back. And so the other girls at her college speculated that it was because they had just, there had just been this college scandal where a bunch of Chinese students from the mainland across the country were expelled from college because it turned out that their families had paid to have someone take the tests for them, like fly over to the States and take the test for them to get them into school. And so they were like, well, you know, obviously it must have been her position. So she, she doesn't know what happened to this woman. And then out of the blue, Winnie reaches out to her and she meets her for coffee. And Winnie is a completely different person now. She walks in and, and she says she looks like a like an Instagram influencer. She's had lots of surgery. She's very glamorous. She's holding like a wildly expensive purse. And, and like Ava doesn't really know anything about purses, but she can just tell that this bag is like really expensive. And she's just so glamorous. And also... Her son, Henry, really likes her. Like, when he starts singing to him in Chinese, like, these songs that Ava remembers that her mother sang to her when she was young, which, you know, makes her want to cry because her mother has passed away, like, six months earlier. And, you know, she, she is a totally different person than Ava remembers. And they start a friendship, you know. And Ava is very grateful to have a friend and also to have, like, someone else around who can kind of deal with Henry when he has his temper tantrums. But as the friendship goes on, it's discovered as Winnie lets her discover, uh, that she actually has a secret job. She tells Ava when they meet that she imports designer handbags from China. But what she actually does is Winnie has people go to boutiques and buy like the very, very, very expensive designer bags. Then Winnie sells them on eBay and then imports 
knockoff replicas from China and returns them to the store in the U.S. So, you know, she's making the money from selling the bag on eBay, and she's also getting the money from returning it to the store. But she needs help with her operation. Like, like one of the people that she works with is having some problems, so she needs someone else to help her out with this. And Ava is horrified at first when Winnie tells her this. She's outraged, and she, she can't believe, you know, she's doing this illegal activity, and she doesn't want to be her friend anymore. And Winnie is very sad, you know, she's like, oh, we can still be friends. And you know, she's like, I don't know if I can still be friends with you. You know, you're basically a criminal. And so Ava, you know, they kind of dissolve the friendship, but Ava's still having a really hard time. She's trying to get her son into nursery school, but no nursery school would want to take him when he just screams all day. And then her husband goes ahead and makes this major life decision without consulting her. And she just feels like her life is getting away from her and she doesn't get to make any decisions. And she doesn't have her own money and she doesn't have you know, her own account and her family is judging her. Um, she goes to visit her family and, and they say things, you know, like about her son that make her very angry, you know, about how, he, oh, he just needs this and he just needs to do that. Uh, and she wants to take her son to a speech therapist, but her husband says, no, like it's, it's not going to do any good. But so she wants to come up with some money to like secretly take him. And so she finally decides like, yes, she's going to help Winnie with her bag operation. But only one time. She's only going to do this one time, which is going to have a huge payout. And then she's out, you know, and you know those stories about one time. You know how that goes. And we know that it doesn't end well, because at the beginning of this book, Ava is telling the story of her and Winnie and the bag operation to a detective. So we know that something has gone wrong. I thought this was really fun. I could completely see how Ava got into the situation that she was in. And the book is is kind of light, but also makes really great points, has really important storylines. It looks at cultural differences between America and China. It examines consumerism, microaggressions, racism, marriage, independence, family. It's just, it's, I read it in one sitting, which I know I read every book in one sitting, but it, you know what I mean? And it's just really fun. I do want to give content warnings for racism and xenophobia, illness and loss of a loved one. This is Counterfeit by Kirsten Chen. All right. I, because it's Pride, all of the books that I'm recommending today are queer, which I know is a big departure <laughs> for me, instead of it being, you know, 80%. <laughs> so the first book I want to recommend is Home Field Advantage by Delia Adler. If you were a queer woman on the internet 10 years ago, though I can't believe it was 10 years ago, you probably saw the photo of a girl high school quarterback getting her hair fixed by a cheerleader. It is an iconic photo, and it seems made to inspire a movie or book or TV show. I'm guessing that the story, which was in the New York Times, inspired the later Nickelodeon TV show Bella and the Bulldogs, which is about a middle school girl quarterback, came out a few years after. But luckily, we finally now have a book that matches these vibes, and that's Home Field Advantage. So Jack has always loved football. Although she plays other sports, she's been devoted to football since she was a little kid, and she's good at it. The problem is, being good at it isn't enough to be allowed to play at her school. Then she gets an opportunity to change that. Atherton High School is looking for a new quarterback, and they've asked her to fill the spot. Not that they can technically recruit her as a player since they're a high school. It's just that if her family happened to move there, then they happen to have a spot for her on the team. 
Jack is under no illusions that this will be easy. She knows it'll be an uphill battle to convince this conservative town that she is a capable quarterback. But it turns out to be even harder than she imagined. For one thing, the coach didn't mention to the team that the new quarterback was a girl until she gets there. For another, she's replacing the former quarterback because he died. And the team, the whole school really, is still mourning and idolizing him. It took a lot to come out here, though. Her family is now split between two towns, so her brothers and her dad are back in their hometown, and she is there with their mom. And they are renting out a tiny apartment. She's sleeping on the couch, and even that is a big strain on the family's finances. She has upended her family's lives for this opportunity, and she is not going to give up that easily. And then there's our other main character, Amber, and Amber is as competitive and passionate about cheerleading as Jack is about football. She has a plan to become cheer captain, and everything is falling into place. Sure, she has to be closeted at school, even to her best friend, but it's worth it to fit in on the team and be able to do what she loves. Jack is throwing a wrench in those plans, though. Both the football team and the cheerleading team hate her and want her out. Even aside from the fact that she finds Jack attractive, she doesn't understand the vitriol aimed at her, especially from her best friend. It's obvious that Jack is a great player, much better than the teammate who first tried to fill in and failed miserably. If Amber is going to have a chance of becoming cheer captain, though, she can't go against everyone else. So instead, she tries to subtly steer them towards accepting Jack without them calling her out. At first, Jack and Amber butt heads. Jack doesn't believe her niceties in the beginning, and then later resents that she stays quiet while the rest of the school aims sexism and homophobia at her. I appreciated, though, that this doesn't drag out very long. They're obviously attracted to each other, and it isn't long before they give in and start a secret romance. This is complicated for a whole lot of reasons, though. Aside from the team's general hatred of Jack and the homophobic environment, Amber already has a boyfriend. At least that's what everyone else thinks. Amber and Miguel have been in a fake relationship for a while to cover up the fact that they're both queer. In fact, Miguel is dating a guy from another school, and breaking up might threaten his cover too. This was such a readable, engrossing book. The pacing is great, and I kept thinking, just one more chapter, which is a thing that everyone says, but I rarely actually think. But this one did that for me. Every chapter ending made me curious about what happened next, and there was plenty of drama to keep me invested. One of the minor aspects of the book that I really liked was that Amber's mom is bisexual, and it made me realize that although I've read books with same-sex parents, I don't think I've read another book that has a bisexual parent who is single. It was nice that Amber could be out and comfortable at home, even if she didn't feel safe talking about that at school, and her mom's casual bisexual jokes made me happy, like talking about the classic bisexual Bob haircut. It probably doesn't hurt that I'm now closer to the mom's age than Amber's age. I also liked Amber's exploration of the labels that she feels comfortable with. She is not attracted to cis men, but she is attracted to other genders, so she's not sure how to label herself. She seems to be settling on polysexual and queer, but she's not completely sure even by the end of the book. Jack, on the other hand, uses the terms gay and lesbian to refer to herself. 
Also, this book did make me invested in a fictional football game, which is a very impressive thing to pull off. Dahlia Adler continues to be a queer YA author you just can't miss. Plus, if you're not following LGBTQ Reads, her blog, you need to. It is a vital source of queer book information, and you can ask for recommendations on her Tumblr. And she seems to have a recommendation for absolutely everything. So I love this book. And the title again is Home Field Advantage by Dahlia Adler. I also loved that book. It's good. It's cute. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Uh, so now for something completely different. Uh, my next pick today is After the Lights Go Out by John Bircher. I picked this up because uh, Bircher had a novel that came out, I think it was last year or the year before, which was with a small press called Three Fifths. It was a crime novel and everybody was talking about it. So I read it and it was excellent. So I was uh, looking forward to this one, which came out or is coming out with Soho Press, which is a, a publisher that I love. Uh, and this is a gritty noir about a mixed race MMA fighter with pugilistic dementia who is hoping to make a comeback. And you know, I love a one last time novel. I know I've mentioned this many times, you know, whether it's a robbery, like one last job or, or a fight, like I love a one last time novel because nothing ever goes right. Kind of like, you know, earlier when I was talking about counterfeit, like just do this job one time. Yeah. Um, so this is about a man named Xavier Scarecrow Wallace. He's in his thirties. He lives in Philadelphia and times are tough. He's a mixed martial arts fighter, uh, which, I assume most people know what that is, but it's like those cage matches where people just basically beat the hell out of each other until someone says stop. There was a great scene in, in Hacks in the new season, if you haven't seen that. But um, anyway, uh, so Xavier uh, is a mixed martial arts fighter. He's been suspended for a year. And so he's been keeping in shape because he, he wants to fight again someday. Uh, but he has pugilistic dementia, which is a side effect of, you know, fighting like this, you know, he's, it includes memory loss, migraines and paranoia, and it's getting worse. Uh, but while he waits out his suspension, he's teaching classes and working out in a gym owned by his cousin, who is also his manager, who he is also deep in debt to like a debt that like he probably can't ever repay. And he's also living in his father's house. Uh, Xavier had a black mother who left years ago and he lives in the home of his white father, who is now in a nursing home. And as his father gets older, his own dementia has brought out his racism. Uh, and it's very shocking to Xavier to like have to visit his dad and, and hear the terrible things that he says. Uh, and now he's not surprised like why his mother left. But then Xavier gets a chance at a comeback fight and the chance to, to perform, the chance to fight uh, might clean the slate with his cousin. It's like that big. But, you know, he's not well, and it could cost him everything. Like, is he going to go through with it? It's a really excellent read. Bircher is great at creating these emotionally complex characters, and building up to the finale was very intense. Uh, I do want to say, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but I do need to remark that this is about MMA fighting. Uh, it's very brutal. You know, there's a, there's a lot of brutality. It can get very grim at times. You know, but it's a really compelling story of race and family and trauma and redemption. Uh, and like I said, MMA is a very violent sport, so it does make it a heavy read sometimes. I do want to give content warnings for lots of violence, injury, gore, death, illness and loss of a loved one, racism and racialized language, mental illness, and animal harm on the page. This is After the Lights Go Out by John Verger. Also, pick up three-fifths, too. That one's great. 
Okay, so my next book I want to recommend is Buffalo is the New Buffalo by Chelsea Vowell. This is a collection of Métis futurism stories that rejects the concept that education is the new buffalo and instead imagines how Métis worldviews have survived colonialism in the past and present and how they can influence the future. I'll be perfectly honest and say I don't feel qualified to discuss this book, but I thought it was a fantastic and fascinating read that I want a lot more people to pick up, so I'm going to give it a try. First, some background. So indigenous futurisms is a concept inspired by Afrofuturism. And as Vowell explains, indigenous futurisms seek to discover the impact of colonialism, remove its psychological baggage, and recover ancestral traditions. Despite the name, it's not just located in the future, which is to say that although some of these stories are science fiction, indigenous futurisms and Afrofuturism don't neatly fit into that box. This collection also includes alternative histories, for instance. It's also necessarily political indigenous futurism. It's about imagining the world differently and working to get there. Val writes in her introduction that she recognizes indigenous people exist across the globe, all with their own distinct stories and viewpoints. So she labels her work as specifically Métis futurist, with all of the stories taking place around her home of Lac San Anne. She also discusses how the history of the science fiction genre is intertwined with colonialism, that it reflects settler colonial anxieties. It assumes that colonialism is inevitable and that the only choice is whether you're going to be colonizer or colonized. Vowell explains that these stories are meant to inspire action, whether or not you're Métis. One of my favorite things about this collection is that the stories include footnotes and are each followed by an essay explaining Vowell's thought process behind them. She says, these explorations expand this work beyond creative writing. I am imagining otherwise in order to find a way to act otherwise. So while the stories are fiction, there is a lot of research that went into many of them, and the footnotes explain which parts are based in fact and which were changed. I said that all the books I'm discussing today are queer, and this is no exception. At least half of these stories have queer main characters. And in several stories, that's just mentioned in passing, but in others, the character's queerness is more central to the story. In Buffalo Bird, the main character and her mother are Ruguru, which are shapeshifters who transform into powerful black mares, and that shift is usually through anger. Angelique and her mother are both criticized for not being sufficiently feminine, especially because Angelique has no interest in marrying a man. Fowl explains that heterosexism and these gender norms have been enforced through colonialism and that they have, quote, erased and punished fluid sexual orientations and gender identities that existed pre-contact. In another story, a queer indigenous feminist collective co-parent a kid together. And while it's unusual enough to have a short story collection with footnotes and explanatory essays, they also play with form in other ways. So one is told as an academic talk. One is the same story told three times as hint fiction, which is under 25 words, as microfiction, which are under 300 words, and then as a short story. Many of them feel like thought experiments. In one, buffalo are returned to the plains all at once with herds crashing through Ikea walls. 
Another takes the concept of Métis as a forgotten people to create a culturally rooted Métis superhero who is instantly forgotten by anyone who isn't family and uses that to sabotage colonialist projects. In another, parents implant their children with nanites that translate all language input into Cree, making them first language Cree speakers who will keep the language alive, but will also be unable to learn any other language. One story follows a world where most of the population hibernates until the world heals from its damage, with technology maintained by an indigenous crew paid with parcels of land. And one of the crew members plans to use this opportunity for revenge and to determine who wakes up. This was a thought-provoking and engaging collection, and I really enjoyed reading the essays to see Vowell's inspiration and intentions behind each story. Fowl is also the co-host of the podcast Métis in Space and co-founder of the Métis in Space Land Trust, which has bought back land around Black St. Anne. I highly recommend this one, and I am eagerly anticipating whatever Chelsea Vowell writes next. I do want to give some content warnings for racism, suicide, drug use and overdose, and violence. And that's Buffalo is the New Buffalo, stories by Chelsea Vowell. Okay. So those are books that we have read and we are recommending and uh, also several minutes of time that the listeners won't hear in which (laughs) we lost our call. (laughs) So before we talk about uh, releases that we're excited about today, we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay, so I'm going to start with Nuclear Family by Joseph Han. Uh, Joseph Han was just the recipient of one of the 535 awards from the National Book Award Foundation, which is very exciting. And this is a debut novel set around the 2018 nuclear missile alarm that went off accidentally in Hawaii. Uh, if you remember from the news, uh, people living in Hawaii received tech mes- text messages and the alarm went off saying like, oh yeah, nuclear missile is on the way, you know, good luck to you. And then they were like, oh, sorry, that was a mistake, which is not stressful at all. Uh, And this is about a Korean-American family living in Hawaii. They are living what, you know, they imagine is the American dream. They have a restaurant that's doing really well. Guy Fieri stopped by and gave it a shout out. And now it's doing like tons better than it was. Their daughter is set to graduate from college. And their son has moved to South Korea to teach English. And like everything is going really well. And then a viral video appears on the internet showing their son Joseph trying to cross the Korean demilitarized zone from South Korea into North Korea. And they don't know what is happening. And they really don't know what is happening because what is happening is that Joseph, who is now living in South Korea, he's the son I mentioned who's teaching English. He has been inhabited by the ghost of his grandfather who longs to return to North Korea and find the family that he lost. And this, this video has brought shame to his family and it affects their business and suspicions fall on them. You know, are they North Korean like spies and it hurts their livelihood and, and just kind of throws everything into question, like their futures. It's a debut. Like I said, it's a, a tragicomic masterpiece and I'm, I want more books where people are possessed by ghosts, but not like scary possession, but like, you know, the new Zen Cho, the Blackwater sister, that kind of thing. Um, you know, where I love ghosts that have motives and, and take over bodies. Uh, but that's just me. I'm, I'm going on about that now. But this is Nuclear Family by Joseph Han. Yeah, I think the idea of non-horror ghost stories is really interesting. Yeah. Just ghosts, you know, living their undead lives. Just, they got other stuff. 
Yeah. Like, I want a ghost that's, like, living in the fridge or, you know, can only <laughs> exist in the glove compartment of your car or, like, you know, for, like, like I like weird ghosts, you know? And they're just yeah. like, hey, how's it going? Me too. You know, here's a map. <laughs> you know, help me find my long lost family. Very helpful. And I'll and I'll leave your, oh, no. you know, Audi. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, somebody get on writing that <laughs> so we can read it. <laughs> so this time I've actually read uh these other releases that I'm gonna be talking about too. And I wanna recommend Slip, and it's written by Marika Makula and illustrated by Atmoja Pandya. I'm going to start by saying that I will be discussing suicide when recommending this book, not in any detail, but it will be mentioned several times. If that's not something you want to listen to right now, you can skip forward a few minutes. This is a YA graphic novel about Jade, who is preparing for her future as an artist by going to a summer art intensive. She knows this opportunity is going to be make or break for her. She's going to be building a portfolio that will hopefully get her a college scholarship so she can follow her dreams of being an artist. It's a lot of pressure, but it's also exciting and inspiring. Just before she leaves, though, she gets devastating news. Her best friend, Phoebe, has attempted suicide and is now in the hospital. Phoebe and Jade have always been incredibly close, and Jade can't even process this information. But Phoebe doesn't want visitors and is concentrating on her own recovery, so Jade has nothing to do but go to the art farm, even though her art is now the farthest thing from her mind. This is, unsurprisingly, an introspective and melancholy story. Jade is struggling to process all of her emotions. She is sad and afraid for Phoebe. She's angry. She feels betrayed that Phoebe didn't tell her what she was going through. She feels guilty for her anger, and on and on. And now that she has, finally, this opportunity to build her portfolio, she has no inspiration for what to create. While the people around her make beautiful, thought-provoking pieces that intimidate her, she feels completely stuck. The color palette Pangea uses here is limited and muted. It's mostly blue with pops of red. I think this style really communicates Jade's state of mind. She feels disconnected and numb, and those flashes of red are the moments when she can really connect, especially with her anger. There is a touch of fantasy or fabulism here as well. When Jade burns her drawings of Phoebe, they briefly come to life in the flames, and she can speak to her best friend to try to understand what happened. Later, her sculptures come to life and fight back against her or run away, which, apart from making her feel like she's hallucinating, also make it even harder for her to complete her portfolio in time. Meanwhile, she's also beginning a romance with another girl at the art collective. Mary is upbeat and positive and confident, and Jade quite abruptly finds herself kissing her. But this adds a whole new layer of confusion and guilt. How can she be happy when Phoebe is suffering? How can she be crushing on someone and flirting when her best friend is going through something so huge and awful? This is one of those tricky books to recommend because it's not an upbeat or exciting read. It's fundamentally about a teenager stumbling and raging and weeping her way through something really difficult. She lashes out at others. She makes bad decisions. Her journey through this is messy and nonlinear. But that's also what makes us feel real and what made me feel 
feel for her so much. I hope this is one that makes its way to classroom and library bookshelves, because I can imagine that a lot of teenagers especially will appreciate this honest portrayal of what it's like to love someone who is going through a mental health crisis, the helplessness and grief and anger and every other tangled, overwhelming emotion that comes with it. And that is Slip, written by Marika Makula and illustrated by Atmoja Panja. Okay. And my other pick for today is Greenland by David Santos Donaldson. This is based a little bit in truth. This is another dazzling debut novel. It's a novel within a novel based on the true secret love affair between E.M. Forster and his Egyptian lover, Muhammad el Adin. And this is about Muhammad's story, and also a century later, the story of a writer named Kip, who has locked himself in his basement to write Muhammad's story. Uh, and as the work progresses, as Kip, you know, furiously tries to get all his thoughts down, Muhammad starts to speak to him, and he sort of examines his own similarities with Muhammad, even though a century has passed, you know, confronting the racism that they experience as young black men, and also as young black men with white lovers. It's about the artist's journey. It's about queerness, self-acceptance, and love. It cover, and like the cover of this book is amazing. Like all the covers of the books I talked about today are incredible, but this one in particular just <gasps> pops off the shelf. It's a remarkable cover, a remarkable book. It is Greenland by David Santos Donaldson. Okay, and my last book I want to talk about today is Nevada by Imogen Binney. This was first published in 2013, but it has been out of print until now. It's being republished. I can't believe I first read this almost 10 years ago because it made such a big impression that I feel like it was only recently. This was a groundbreaking book in trans literature. In 2013, the only trans books I'd read were really written for a cis audience and were often a plea for acceptance. But from its first sentences, Nevada grabs the reader by the throat and doesn't let go. That's an inside joke for people who have actually read Nevada already. The main character is a punk trans woman, Maria, who is a bit of a mess. She's bored of her relationship with her girlfriend. Her job at a bookstore is fine, but not something she really enjoys that much. And she is generally stalled out in her life. This is a deeply introspective book that puts you in Maria's head. This Overanalyzing, ironic narration will put off some readers, but I loved it. Maria dissociates from almost every emotion she feels, but analyzes herself and her life continuously. She is searching for authenticity while acknowledging that it is an impossible and self-indulgent quest. And she is generally trying to establish a sense of identity while also dealing with internalized queer and feminist critiques of any label, idea, or emotion that she might have. This internal struggle is at the forefront more than the specific beats of the plot. She's in this apathetic state when her life comes to a crisis, and she has to decide what to do next. She is fired from her job, and her girlfriend breaks up with her, forcing her out of the sleepwalking way she's been living recently. So she steals her ex-girlfriend's car and takes off on a cross-country road trip. That's where she meets James, who is the second main character of the story, though we don't meet him until halfway through the book. The first time I read Nevada, I was disappointed by this aspect of the book. I loved Maria, and I didn't want to switch perspectives. I didn't realize we were going to be getting another main character so late in the book. 
In this reprint, though, Imogen Binney has an afterword explaining the context of Nevada that made me appreciate this section more. If you've read Nevada before, I highly recommend picking up the reprint just for this afterword. Binney discusses what it was like being trans in the 2000s when she was first writing Nevada. She talks about the online communities she frequented and unlearning things by being yelled at on the internet, which, as someone who spent her teens and early 20s on Tumblr, I deeply relate to that. She also talks about the real-life trans community she found and how crucial it is. And as she says, you might not realize how important that is to share physical space with other trans people if you've never had it. She also explains some context of when she was writing it, including facing trans misogyny from other trans people in her community, which informs some of the characters in Nevada. The afterword also names the books that helped make this book possible, including The Bridge Called My Back. What really made me think about the story in a different way, though, was how Benny describes how she wanted to change the way transition is usually depicted in stories aimed at cis people. Specifically, she wanted to skip the transition part entirely. Instead, Maria represents post-transition, whatever that may mean, and James represents pre-transition, whatever that may mean. She also saw this as a way to explore what it would be like if some trans woman fairy godmother appeared in your life and tried to push you to coming out sooner than you were ready for, especially because a lot of trans people hold a lot of guilt for not coming out sooner, even though it's really not something that you can fast forward through. When it came out the first time almost 10 years ago, this was the first trans lesbian book I'd ever heard of. Sadly, not a lot has changed on that front. We are getting more trans literature, but having a trans lesbian main character is still very rare. Nevada has inspired many trans authors writing today, including Tori Peters, who wrote Detransition Baby. It's a pivotal work of queer literature and also just an absorbing, thought-provoking, and incredibly memorable read. And that's Nevada by Imogen Binney. And I have been pronouncing Nevada differently throughout this whole thing. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So those are books coming out today that we are excited about and that we have read. And now I'm going to do a lightning round with some paperback releases uh, I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, but today is another enormous day for new releases, both in hardcover and in paperback. Uh, so I had a hard time whittling this down, but I think I got some good ones here. Starting off with Seven Days in June by Tia Williams, which is a rekindling of a romance between two writers and can they make it work this time around? The Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray, which is based on the true story of J.P. Morgan's personal librarian, Belle DaCosta Green, a black American woman who passed as white. And I just want to mention there's also a book coming out on June 14th from Europa called Belle Green, also the story of her life, by Alexandra Lapierre and translated by Tina Cover. That's June 14th. Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney, who I still have not read. I should probably get on that, uh, which is about relationships between young people in various places in the world. The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris, which is about a young black woman working at a publishing house who is excited when another young black woman is hired, but that woman doesn't want to be friends, and then she also starts getting threats. Last Call, A True Story of Love and Lust and Murder in Queer New York by Elon Green is a true crime about a serial killer targeting gay men in New York City in the early 90s. 
Three Girls from Bronzeville, a uniquely American memoir of race, fate, and sisterhood by Dawn Turner, which is her memoir about herself and two other young black girls, her sister and a friend who were very close. Uh, she was like her sister, their friend, and it examines how they were so close and all set on the same path and how their lives turned out so differently. The Ugly Cry, How I Became a Person Despite My Grandmother's Horrible Advice by Danielle Henderson. Uh, this is one of my favorite memoirs of last year. They added the subtitle for the pu the paperback publication. Uh, it is about how Henderson was raised by her grandmother. She and her brother were raised by her grandmother uh, with fierce love and bad advice. Dearest Santurin by A Black Spirit Memoir by Akweke Amezi, which is a memoir in letters. I want to point out that uh, Amezi, they had a great interview on Trevor Noah the other day, so I highly recommend Googling that and watching it because it was really inspiring. Ola Poppy, How to Come Out in a Walmart Parking Lot and Other Life Lessons by John Paul Brammer. I'm, I think the blurb to this book explains it best. It is a LGBTQ, it's about LGBTQ advice columnist John Paul Brammer's memoir in essays, chronicling his journey from a queer mixed race kid in America's heartland to becoming the Chicano Carrie Bradshaw of his generation. The Hidden Palace, a novel of the Golem and the Ginny by Helene Wecker. I realize many people don't know that the sequel to The Golem and the Ginny came out, which is very exciting because The Golem and the Ginny is a beloved novel. So yes, The Hidden Palace is out in paperback now. Secrets of Happiness by Joan Silber, which is about a man who discovers his father has a secret family. Joan Silber is an amazing author, and I feel like her books are always very quietly received and you might want to check her out and her backlist because she's great. Unicorn Selfies, another Phoebe and her unicorn adventure by Dana Simpson. Yes, Phoebe and her unicorn is still going on. This is book number 15. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that we are big fans of Phoebe and her unicorn. We gave each other unicorn names, Rebecca and I, and some of our listeners like at events would ask us for unicorn names. And it's been a very long t time since I've given someone a unicorn name, uh, which is like the unicorn in the book is named Marigold Heavenly Nostrils. So it's like flower adjective body part. So I've decided to dub Danica Peony Auspicious Elbows. So there you are, Danica. That is your new unicorn name. Amazing. Or I say I say new unicorn name as though you might have already had one. So, um, <laughs> you know, either way, you are now Peony Auspicious Elbows. I love it. <laughs> also out today, The Perfect Crimes of Marion Hayes by Kat Sebastian, a paperback original about a woman who murders her horrible husband and then must rely on the thief who is blackmailing her to help her escape town. Brown Neon Essays by Raquel Gutierrez, the paperback original. Uh, the book is described as a meditation on southwestern terrains, intergenerational queer dynamics, and surveilled brown artists that crosses physical and conceptual borders. Also out, we have a few YA books. The Marvelous by Claire Kahn. It is about six teens locked in the mansion of a reclusive heiress competing for money. Sounds a little Westing game. I'm totally into it. I want to read it. Welcome to St. Hell, My Trans Teen Misadventure, a graphic novel by Lewis Hancocks. It's a paperback original. It's Hancocks' comic memoir about Lewis's young self and his thoughts and wishes for that girl and what he could tell her now. We Light Up the Sky by Lilium Rivera, which is a YA novel that I talked about on the show when it came out. I loved this book. It's about an alien invasion in Los Angeles. And What Big Teeth by Rose Zabo, about a young woman who returns to her estranged family from boarding school to find her family are literal monsters, and this is the future that she is headed towards. So those are paperback releases. So many. Uh, Danica, what are you going to read next? 
I'm going to read Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson, which came out last week. And it's the first in an epic fantasy trilogy about a group of witches. And it's fighting transphobia. And it's got a sapphic main character. And I am so excited. And also, Juno Dawson has a book out today called What's the Tea, which is a teen self-help book for trans kids so wow juno dawson really putting out a ton of books what are (laughs) you reading next well what i want to really be reading is the cormac mccarthy novels Uh, cormac mccarthy has a two novel literary event happening uh on first part comes out october 25th the second part comes out december 6th and i really really want to read them also by the way cormac mccarthy is 88 years old now that's wild um but where i've been sick my brain is still not fully cooperating, so I'm holding off a little bit longer. And I think I'm going to read Temple Alley Summer by Sachiko Kashiwaba, which is an award-winning middle-grade novel from a beloved Japanese children's author about ghosts. I'm all about ghosts lately. I don't know why <laughs> that is, but I'm super into ghosts. I read that. You did? I did, and I loved it. Did you talk about it on the show? I can't yeah, remember. I did. Oh, well, that might be why I wrote it down. <laughs> and the cover is amazing. Yeah. Well, great. I'm excited for it. And that is it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, who has so much work today. Very sorry, Jen. Uh, You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Danica hangs out on Twitter at lesbrary, L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. If you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And also, don't forget, we're hiring a digital marketing manager. You can check out the position at bookriot.com slash join dash us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new book newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.